what are we doing here? <laughs> what a mad evening. England are in their first ever European Championship final and I get to see it. <laughs> I mean, I don't, re- I don't necessarily think that's even fair because it defies logic that we should even be here. To those who don't follow football, unless you're of a certain generation, like 65 plus, You've never seen England be relevant on the international stage in footballing terms. And I mean men's football specifically. The women's team have excelled and done really well and are the pride of England, but not the men's team. We've been a, it's been hopeless. It's been a failure. It's been England have always been synonymous with being perennial failures of delivering the cruelest heartbreak and us as England fans we go into tournaments knowing that the wheels will fall off at some point and that we're just gonna have to pick ourselves up and go again but it's different this time this is new territory this is this is the holy grail and you can see that reflected in the mood of the country at the moment with so much jubilance and optimism and i think the timing of these tournaments having been delayed from the previous year have played a huge part in that. You know, the last 18 months we've suffered with the impact that coronavirus has had on our personal lives, on our civil liberties, on our relationships with people. It's been difficult to live with and the climax of, you know, potentially returning to normalcy, and I say that potentially because we know the flip-flopping of the government and that anything can change, but at the moment, the 19th of July is happening with the relaxation of all social distancing guidelines, legally speaking. And England could potentially win their first European silverware a week before. That's just magical to think of that happening. It's really amazing to see how football has brought the country together because as a passion, it's quite paradoxical. Football has the immense capacity to unite people but also has quite a sinister propensity to divide people on national lines. There's this concept that I've read about the 90-minute Englishman, someone who doesn't necessarily consider themselves to be English or associate themselves with England as a nation, but for that 90 minutes, when the football is on and England are propelling themselves to potential glory, they will get their St George's flags out they'll get a retro England kit and they'll support the team as if they were going to war for the country and it's interesting because it relates to me like I don't necessarily feel English I mean if you're boiling down me as a British citizen obviously I am British but that doesn't really mean a lot because I don't relate to Irish Welsh or Scottish culture I was I was raised in England my cultural references and the way I think and The way I am is because of England and I think for a lot of people they feel that there is a disconnect and a real one as well because there are some people who would sneer and say well actually if if I publicly said you know I, I, I feel English I am English there would be a certain section of people who go "Mm, well you're not really English are you referring to the fact that I'm obviously not a white Anglo-Saxon person even though that is a pretty arbitrary way of defining the the quote-unquote true English people but I think that is changing I'm so glad to be alive to see it I mean if you looked about 10 years ago to the way that 
pundits, the media, just everyday people would refer to, or at least make the distinction between homegrown quote unquote English footballers and black British footballers that play for England. It was quite a strong line drawn between those two things, as if they they weren't compatible. Like you had English players like David Beckham, and then you had black British players like Saul Campbell. Whereas, because of the way society has moved forward, and particularly with the activism from people like Raheem Sterling, who my God has been on fire. I know he's profligate, and I know that he frustrates, but. Although Harry Kane is the poster boy for England, Raheem Sterling is the talisman. He is driving this country forward. The boy from Brent, who lived an earshot away from Wembley Stadium growing up, can hear the games going on from his garden, is now leading the nation to potential victory. And that's a beautiful thing. He's done it in a way that deserves massive respect. He has called out racial injustice in a way that previously players didn't want to do because of the chance that that would hamper their career or make them be viewed in a negative light. And he's taking that risk and he's actually moved the conversation forward. We've seen how he's been misrepresented in the press. We've seen that ridiculous story where. He was scrutinised relentlessly for having a tattoo of a gun on his right foot or his right leg. And what he has done, really trying to consolidate the principles of diversity and inclusivity within English society, an English society that has been largely quite slow to react to those things. What they've done is that they have now reached a point where media, pundits, and the everyday person would have no hesitancy. In saying that Raheem Sterling and anyone like Raheem Sterling is English, and I think that's wonderful because it means that the togetherness is real. We are in it together because you can't be in it together if you are viewed differently within your own country. It is difficult. I mean, I I luckily haven't had to relate to this because I wasn't born here. Um, I I didn't have the experience of being an Englishman growing up here, but. It can be incredibly destabilizing to be someone who is born and raised in the country to identify so heavily with that place, and yet be told, "Actually, you're not really from here, though, are you?" Um, so fair play to Raheem Sterling and England in general, and especially Gal Southgate, who has not shied away from difficult conversations about racism, about equality, and he has he has put his foot down and he has made his stamp on what he wants. And it's the modern-day England team. This isn't a bunch of John Bulls running around the pitch. This is this is 21st century England now, and it's great. And it's even remarkable to see how symbols and how they are perceived suddenly changed just in the space of a few weeks from when this tournament began. St George's flag, for example, has been appropriated by right-wing extremists in this country as a symbol of white ethno-nationalism, and it is often used in the same way that the Confederate flag is used in the United States, of saying that this is that this place is ours and it's not yours. And I remember Emily Thornberry, who I think she's a Labour MP, she tweeted. Um, a picture of a house, I think, in either Rochdale or maybe her constituency, with a house with the England flag draped over it, making the assumption this or that that place or the people were hostile. And it's 
unfortunate that that association has been made because I'm pretty sure for most flags in the world, people are very proud of um, of what it represents. You see French, German, Italian, Swiss, all people rep representing their flags are incredibly proud of what that means. And yet there is a, there's a shame in England of brandishing the St. George's flag for the connotations it has. And that's because the connotations are real. A lot of people don't associate with the flag. They see the flag as a symbol of empire, as a symbol of a time where people like me were not accepted and were not tolerated. It's a flag and alongside football has created a lot of problems in the last century. Football hooliganism was part of skinhead culture, was part of racial violence in Brixton and other areas in London that were anti-black and Asian people. They, those things were linked together. And football also contributes to larger societal problems. And this is a difficult conversation to have because I love football. It's my, it's my passion. It's something that I have fallen in love with. And that most likely means that I'm blind to the glaring problems that exist within the sport. We've already mentioned kind of racism and the manner in which that although there has been more visibility, football does have a racism problem. Not just overt ways in, way in, in how black players are consistently abused online and in person by people in the stands, but also by the lack of representation within management. Um, but you also have other problems that maybe aren't as reported or aren't as glaring. And it depends on how the media portrays them. You have you have footballers who wore recently the rainbow-coloured armbands for Pride Month, yet are part of a dressing room culture that disincentivizes people from coming out. It's hypocritical for footballers to say that they are for LGBT equality, yet are part of cultures, or at least contribute to cultures that mean that people cannot be who they are. And arguably the most serious is domestic violence. We've seen the impact that lockdown has had on the rate of domestic violence against women by their partners in the UK. And shockingly, but not surprisingly, that has also gone up during Euro 2020. And some people might say, well, you can't attribute football to that. Well, I think you can. I'm sure you don't get the same level of domestic violence from men to their partners when the men have gone to watch a cricket match or gone to watch the rugby or even gone to watch UFC. It's a football problem. But then some might further argue, you know, well, there's a lot of alcohol consumed. Well, is that an excuse really? Because I'm sure there are a lot of football fans who have a couple too many pints who don't go home and then beat their wives. So that's something that is just not addressable. It's not even thought about, and for the vast majority of football fans, such as myself, that is not an issue we have to consider. And I'm just highlighting this because that is also the reality of football. I think it's important to talk about these things because even though come Sunday, I'll be optimistic, I'm wanting England to do well, I think it's a good time to also raise an issue about how football operates. This might seem like I'm hating on football or hating on England, but... I just think it's a good opportunity to look at the holistic view of football because it's not just a net positive. It's not something that is just the game because to a lot of people, they are excluded by the most popular sport in the world. 
And unlike other problems or other industries or sectors, football has undoubtedly the power to change things. Football and the governing bodies that regulate football can eradicate these problems if they want to. So on a slightly lighter note, we'll see. We'll see how things turn out on Sunday. I'm very nervous, but I think win or lose, this has been an incredibly rewarding time for a lot of people. It's been a nice escape from the many stresses and tribulations that people go through. And if anything, football does act as a release. It acts as something for people to take their mind off things. And there's been a lot for us to take our minds off. So, so let's bring it home. It's coming home, it's coming, football's coming home.